2: Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by David Walker of the Daily Mirror and tactical analyst Adrian Clark. Welcome to the Killing Zone, otherwise known as the Autumn International Break. This is the time when chairmen tend to lose patience and managers run for cover. We'll look at the coming men like Sean Dyche and Marco Silva. But first, David, Who's got most to fear?
3: Well, I think at the moment, the undercurrent, the the negativity around the two clubs is probably West Ham with Slav and Bilic and looking at this morning's papers, uh, Ronald Koeman at Everton. I've got to say, I think for both of them, I think it'd be wrong to sack them at the moment, but I think um, for both of them, there's a positive in that they are working for boards of directors that have not shown themselves to be trigger-happy in the past. I think there is an element at Everton that is out there and unknown, which is the Mashiri funding. Um, he's new to the Everton boardroom, he and his advisers. You wonder if that could change the normal Bill Kenwright, we're going to back our man. I've got to say, looking at the Everton thing, there was the whole experiment of recruiting Kuman of bringing Steve Walsh in. They've had a very poor, frustrating, disappointing start, which is made worse by the uh, expectations around the club. But I think to tear it up after seven league games and be sacking the manager and or the director of football would be an act of madness. And I've got to say, Mike, it's in the DNA of Everton where they learned the lesson once before where Howard Kendall was nearly sacked first time round and a few weeks later set off and they created the most brilliant, successful era of their
1: modern times. doesn't feel like Everton are on the verge of that, though, does it? I mean, he, he, seven games into this season, but he was there last season. Mm. Um, so he's he had plenty of time to, to mould Everton into the kind of team he wants. When I watch Everton, I don't know what they are. I don't know what I'm going to see. I don't know which 11 I'm going to see from one game to the next. And that's part of the problem. He's panicking. Ron Akuma is panicking with his team selection at the moment. We're seeing different players pop up each week. He's, he's even reverted to Nias, a player he ostracised yeah. mm. um, not so long ago, took away his first team locker. So it, I, I just wonder about his man management. Mm. There weren't too many tears shed at St Mary's when he left. I know that. Good record at Southampton. On the face of it, did a terrific job. But the people there that I've spoken to weren't that fond of him.
2: Mm. And he's made... A big call in in basically after six seven games, uh, dropping Wayne Rooney.
1: Yeah, I think he
3: always said from the start mm. that Rooney could be around the team. There was no guarantee of Wayne Rooney playing every mm. game, and it suggested he told Wayne Rooney that. I mean, the biggest fact is, and I don't know who you say it's. It was Bill Kenwright. It's Mashiri, It's Steve Walsh. You know, it's Ronald Koeman. The fact is, they shouldn't have sanctioned Romelu Lukaku's exit, albeit for seventy five million pounds, and albeit Lukaku wanted to go, that should not have been sanctioned without his replacement in the building. And it doesn't matter which team you're looking at in the Premier League now, and you can look in recent years. For instance, Swansea are struggling for goals now. When they first got um, Wilfred Boney in, Mm. and he got a load of goals from guess what? Teams with strikers who give you 15, 20 goals a season go up the league. Everton are lacking a 20-goal striker and should have dealt with that in the summer. So it's okay now saying, we thought we had Giroud, you know, there was a deal there. We were convinced
2: it was going to be... They didn't get Giroud. They didn't get anybody. And that's the big problem. And recruitment, you know, we say it often yeah. enough, don't we, Adrian, is an absolute key. Now, if you look at the recruitment they made over the summer, mm. you've got basically about four or five players who love to
1: play in a number 10 role. Yeah. They've
2: got too many of one particular type of player.
1: <laughs> of course they well, they should... Once they went for the first number 10, which was Davy Classen, mm. um they really probably should then have called off their pursuit of Wayne Rooney, called off their pursuit of Gilfrey Sigerson, But they didn't want to do that because they were two big names, two names that the fans would love to get on board. But for from, from purely tactical reasons and the makeup and the balance of kuman 's squad, there was no need. It was a completely... Especially when you've got Ross Barkley, who ended up not going anywhere. It was, they were completely unnecessary signings and... Um, yeah, I think in, in the case of Sigurdsson, I would have taken him over over. Classic. I think that was
3: the first one. To be honest, I think I think the list. In they, didn't terms get, of, they didn't get they didn't get Sigurdsson to no, no, the no, end. But the, no. no, no, but the time. What I'm saying is, when they've looked at their wish list, there had to be a replacement for Lukaku of some sort, yeah. and they thought they. But they didn't. That is the biggest single fault. Right. Then you're looking at the other bits. It was Sigurdsson was ahead of anybody. Classen, they always said, would not be guaranteed first yeah. And let's be honest. The Wayne Rooney return is very much boardroom-driven, in the sense of Bill promised he would bring
1: the he bring the it's, son home it's when it's he did. It's massively predictable. Yeah. You can have all the midfielders in the world, you can have glorious creative players, but if you haven't got a quality striker up top, someone that can stretch opponents and strike fear right. into them, mm. you're not going to score many goals. But they've also got
2: experienced players at the back who are making mistakes. Yeah, Ashley Williams is having a nightmare, isn't he? He's, right. having, mm-hmm. he's
1: having a shocker of a start to the season. But again, though, what what what's Cumin want? Is it is he is at a back three. is at back four. He chops and changes from one week to the next. It feels like he's accommodating Phil Jagielka, senior player in that dressing room. Maybe he doesn't want to upset him. Mason Holgate, he brought him in. Bit of a fanfare. Next big thing. Boom, he's out. Um, I just feel that he's not a great man-manager. I think he's a good tactician. Mm. He's clearly a talented coach, but he's, he's not a complete coach by any stretch of the imagination. And. I can see a partner in the ways in the next month or two. I really can. Yeah, and
2: it, it was no coincidence. We are having this discussion after you know, Sean Dyche has basically gone there and said to him, the world, indirectly, of course, look at me, mum. You know?
3: <laughs> By the way, Sean Dyche has been able to get on with his job there, done really well, sold a couple of, like, losing King to Everton at £25 million. He's worked, bedded people in. And certainly, I mean, they're away results. Everybody says about the smaller teams, you've got to get your home wins. Eight
2: eight points out of those four games. Absolutely.
3: it has been brilliant. He has done a great job.
1: Why he's a great manager or or a really promising manager, let's not label him great just yet, but he's really good at what he does. It's clarity. You know, when you watch Burnley, Mm. you know every player knows what their job is inside out from one to 11. Um, it, It doesn't matter if you've got injuries because his backups are bought or brought in and they're coached. To, to play that specific role, and, and, and they do it really well. They've got limitations, Burnley. They're not going to finish in the top six. But um, in terms of how he coaches, how he manages, he's, he, he's superb. Well, I think if you look at,
2: say, Tarkovsky, who's gone in there, he was a classic case in point that if he, if any other club had sold a player of keen stature, there would have been a stampede into the market. Mm. But Dyche knew what he had... In reserve well, me, and has, has coached him brilliantly on the training ground.
3: I've got to tell you I remember seeing Tarkovsky, James Tarkovsky was a young lad playing for Oldham Athletic who were facing financial issues and he was a really gifted young lad mm-hmm. and I raised it with a, a Premier League club I was chatting to the mm-hmm. manager one day I said have you seen this boy Tarkovsky at Oldham? He said yeah but the intriguing thing is he's a Mancunian, United and City had looked at him, he'd been floating around and he'd just fallen through that, and he rocks up at Oldham. And then it becomes this, well, how can he be a really outstanding prospect if he's playing for Oldham? Mm-hmm. And almost Burnley get him by default because of this. And, OK, you know, money's paid, but it, it's nothing sensational. It's this real nugget that they found, they've burnished. And let's be honest... He wasn't a regular at Burnley until Michael yeah, Keane's yeah, it, so, it.. Yeah, exactly he does it? the job. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, so I think, it, I think that is the whole point of scouting and recruitment in your football club, wherever you mm. are, be it top of the Premier League or in League Two, that you have got an awareness of that sort of player who's knocking around.
2: Mm. One club who've had, let's say, and be kind and say, a patchy <laughs> recruitment record is West Ham. Right, yeah. Um, Slavon Bilic has got this wonderful knack of winning... When he needs to most,
1: yes, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, keeps digging digging these results out when he needs them. Slaven Bilic, look, I've, I like Slaven Bilic because mm. because I've seen him produce some real tactical masterclasses in the early spell of his. West Ham Rain. He's just, he's just lost his mojo. He's, he, I don't know what's happened to him. Seems a bit fearful to me. He, he really does. He's he's lost a bit of fire. He used to see him jumping around in that technical area a bit more. But it was, it wasn't just that. It was he sent his teams out with clear game plans implemented properly, and they're just wishy-washy now. West Ham and quite dull to watch. We've um, got a lot of talent there, clearly. Um, but no, he's, he's on the edge, no doubt about that. I think I read a report today um, that, that they're going to stick with Stafford Bilic. And I've read this same report quite a few times already. Mm. Under no circumstances will West <laughs> But you Staffing- also, in, in between that, read that he's actually under pressure. Well, now, where's that coming well, from? Well, because it's obvious. That no, no Premier League manager is safe. Lose three or four on the bounce, Bilic is gone. End of story. So it's absolutely it's nonsensical to say that he is there for the season. It really is. Yeah, and I think you're right.
3: The results dictate it all. But there was a great there was a, there was a quote a couple of weeks ago by Ronald Koeman who said after a particularly bad night, "We've got the next four games at home. We win those four mm-hmm. home games, and everything will calm down going into the international break." You mm-hmm. thought. Ronald, you're spot on, but now you're going to have to deliver four wins. Now, they win the first two, yeah. and you're thinking, OK, these getting there. Then guess what? A Cypriot team, Apollon, Limassol, come and get a two-two draw with the last, uh, with ten men, mm. and then you lose at home to Burnley. So what your own uh, yeah. target, you fail to deliver on, and that's where you end up under pressure.
2: Mm. One person who's really bedded in very quickly into his new job is Marco Silva yeah. at Watford.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, we poo-pooed him a bit. <laughs> wrongly when he first came into the premier league his reputation actually soared despite relegation yeah it did and so that was you know a few whispers behind the back of the hands thinking well why is that but actually he's proving himself good yeah
1: Look, he knows what he's doing clearly um i like the recruitment that he's he's made at watford actually he's made them more entertaining so the fans fans like him they- Very attractive to watch now. Uh, Richarlison, I think, is a Mm. a top signing. Really clever, astute by. Gives them balance down that left-hand side, which they really missed last year. And Dakure is getting a tune out of Dakure, who was kind of a non-entity at times when he first joined. Well, he disappeared with that trace. He was nowhere. He did. We couldn't get in the team for a start. And then when he did play, he didn't really notice him. Now he's the rock of which Watford are, are being built around. He's a good coach. Yeah. He improves players.
3: And I think the other thing has been, and I just take my hat off to him on this, he's been decisive there. They were very quickly making signings while others, and there was one or two mm. of the London clubs supposedly, look, and the players were signing for Watford. Yeah. He went, oh, that. But he actually went, right, hey, if we're going to do this, these are the players we want, let's get them uh, signed. And he's delivering on and it. And the one trait
1: that stands out above any other with Watford and the new players are brought in is pace. It's all mm-hmm. about speed. And he's a modern coach. He he understands the needs of a modern, vibrant team, and he knows that Watford haven't got the most gifted players in the Premier League. But if he can gather some of the quickest, it will help them both, you know, an attacking capacity and at the back, and make them less vulnerable. So, I think he is one of the smartest coaches in the Premier League, Marco Silva.
2: Mm. And you know, I've been critical of the Pozzos in the past mm. because I think they've changed the identity of mm. the club. In the transfer market they know their onions don't they mm. that well one, one all the things
3: that we have traditionally said about stability consistency <laughs> back i mean they just mm. tear it all up and rotate managers and then the same I go-
2: think silver will get more than the season well let's
3: hope I would well, hope so but the you other way he is, might get he might get poached was going yeah. say let's see what happens because if he starts getting them into the Europa league or back, there'll be a you want to go have another job? And he's got no great commitment to be at Watford after that. So that would be out, out of a positive. All I'm saying is... Silver, a lot to, of, Everton. Yeah, Silver no, to Everton. Silver to Everton. Can we say it? I could. Yeah. <laughs> the, a lot of the positives that you would see from stability, consistency, give the guy a chance, Watford appear to tear those things up. Their recruitment, their knowledge of an international market has been superb, which clearly... I think a lot of it's down to the tentacles they've got out there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now, as you know, we don't throw this show together. <laughs> well, we do, but hey, <laughs> there's a theme emerging about recruitment. Okay. Let's look at Liverpool. Yeah. Their summer has been terrible in
1: the transfer market. Well, they say most of are. He's been good. Uh, no, the, I mean, the neglect of the back exactly. four. The neglect of the back four is, is criminal, really, from Liverpool's point of view. The head of recruitment there. He's got to be skating on thin ice, I would have thought, because... Well, uh, Michael Edwards, stats man, very close to the Boston owners, well, the, can do no wrong, apparently. Well, he has done wrong because he hasn't identified a central defender but or two.
3: Well, he did, uh, didn't he? Hang on. Well, he did. Well, look, we all identified Pedro no, no, no. Van Dyke. Yeah, but <laughs> he did, and they wrongly did a lot of things that yep. most clubs do, no as problems. in tapping the player up. And they mucked and up. And Van Dyke led them to believe, whatever it takes, I will do to get you. So they did... They knew the weakness, but you're right. The, the issue is, if you're not going to get number one
1: target, yeah. who is number two target? Because you still need but him. If he's- what I don't understand with Klopp, and, and I like Klopp, um, but, but what I don't understand, he keeps saying, yeah, well, you know, we're in the mix, we're title contenders, and going forward, great. But they're, they're clearly not title contenders, because you can't win the league with Lovren and Matip, or Lovren and Clavin at the back. You can't win the league with Moreno as your left back. Mm. You can't even win the league with Mignolet. I'm sorry, he's he's not quite good enough. How he didn't see that and go scream for upgrades, I I, I find amazing.
3: Uh, He he did with Mignolet in the sense of he told Carrier when Carrius arrived, mm. it was in the belief he was going to be the Liverpool number one. Mm. Now, he's not up to the job either in the sense Mm. of what we would expect from that. So, there is another example of your recruitment. That was Klopp's recommendation and call, let's Mm. go. The lad went Mm. in thinking... Here mm. I am. Mm. And he's, he's not delivered.
2: What about them tactically? Yeah. You know, Johnny Northcroft, yeah. um, you know, regular on the show, did a really good piece in, in Sunny Times at the Weekend about the flaws, the sudden flaws mm. in Liverpool's pressing game.
1: Yeah I, yeah, I think there's a myth that they, they, that they press really hard at the pitch. It doesn't really happen that often. It's more in the middle third. And when they nail it, Liverpool... They did sort of against Arsenal. Arsenal were terrible on that day. When they nail it, like they did last season in the big games, they are very, very effective at the pressing game. But no, it, it, I think with Liverpool, the, the problem they've got is is that's it. What, what what else do they do? They haven't got that other option. Klopp hasn't got a different system. It's 4-3-3, three, three, isn't it? Yeah. So that's it. Uh, occasionally, they might switch to a back three. Um it's identifying the recurring themes, the problems yeah. of, of being caught themselves on the counter when they push up high, attack, attack, attack. Boom, one pass splits the centre-half so we're seemingly never prepared or ready. Um, it, it, I think what my big criticism of klopp taxi is that is he addressing the flaws? Is he coming up with an alternative when plan A doesn't work? And the answer to those questions on both scores is, is no.
2: Mm. no. And do you think that, we're now already, they're, they're not in the title race anymore, are they? <laughs>
3: do I think, I think it's dangerous to try anybody off at the beginning of October because you don't know what can happen. And let's be honest, not too long ago, is it two years ago, we won at the yeah. beginning of October saying, do you know what, Mike, Leicester City are going to win the title. So <laughs> there can be a freak season yeah. and something could happen, but, You're right. Uh, One win in seven? No, I was just going to say, I don't know if you saw it, but Rafa Benitez did an analysis of winning the league in England through his time working within the Premier League. And he made the point that, in effect, the richest clubs should win it, as in the ones with the most available money and where you've had a period of time to get people into your team. And the challenge he had whilst he won the Champions League in his first season at Liverpool... He finished second to Manchester United in his second and they got a lot of points, Liverpool. But the point was a Ferguson-Manchester United club with an awful lot more money coming in from tickets and ability to spend saw off the title. They did it. Now, his point was, if you look now, we take it to now, you've got Manchester City, Manchester United and Chelsea can outspend any of the rest. So, realistically, I don't think Liverpool will win the league, no. Mm. And I think there is a reason why, because those three clubs, especially the two in Manchester this season, have been running away, that they will see it through. If those three screw it up and come out with crazy decisions, bad injuries, things start going wrong... That's when somebody could do, mm. as we say, a Leicester, and maybe it's Liverpool, maybe but it's Le- Tottenham. But, but, Lester,
1: but they're out; they're not in there at no, the moment. I agree. I agree with the idea. Yeah, I think no chance for, for the reasons I outlined earlier, just defensively. But the re- Leicester won the title because they were disciplined and organised and, and very, very hard to beat. Liverpool right now not hard to beat. Mm. What about the job that Rafa's
2: doing? You know, since you mentioned him, David. Yeah. Um, what I find is—is is, is he playing a waiting game there? Is he trying to see off Mike Ashley?
1: <laughs> I don't know. There was the uh, the hedge fund manager, wasn't there? The, yeah, Amanda Staveley. Uh, Staveley yeah. was there. there was She's day. just got the twenty eight billion pounds to spend. No, I saw that. Um, that, that that will excite Newcastle fans. Um, I don't know. Look, I just think Rafa's getting on with his job. I mean, well, Rafa won't just get on with his job ever because he loves to, to get involved with the politics, doesn't he? But when he, if you judge him as a coach, as a, as a mm. manager, a, 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 a match play manager. He's as good as they yeah. come, isn't he? I mean, he, he should really be a better team, not a better club because it's mm. a great club, Newcastle. He mm. should have a better set of players to work with. I think, when I, I I said at the start of this season, I said when I look at that Newcastle squad, it, <coughs> it screams bottom five, bottom six to me. So anything above that, I think he, he's really overachieving. So, so so far, definitely so good for Rafa. Mm. On, on the field,
3: Rafa's got a great eye for detail and preparing his team. Off it, Rafa's got a great knows for the DNA of your club, be it Liverpool, be it Newcastle now. He buys into what the people want and understands the communication. And he's brilliant at it. He gets it. Now, if you were watching that yesterday and you you see the game, it's fantastic. St James's Park is one of the great stadiums. Mm. You get that packed. And the fact is... The the Geordie faithful are screaming with delight when they're winning throw-ins and a tackle goes <laughs> in. You know, but but and I'm saying this as a commendation. Yeah. They are so passionately with yeah. and we, you know, we've talked about the cathedrals of football. where they just sit there, you know, in the expenses, it's you know, all yeah. make it happen. And why is it not like I've seen a, a, at a weekend on the action replay? Geordies know football, okay. know where their team is, and Rafa can
2: communicate with the Geordie Nation. He gets it. And and, and because of that, because of that intrinsic passion for the game and the club, surely, surely, that is a brilliant club to take over.
3: Absolutely right, I mean, the fact is, and this was identified back around, what, 20 years ago in the late 90s, Freddie Shepherd, the whole family were in there, and Alex Ferguson made the point, the extension of St James's Park, the club you could see really kicking on to be one of the superpowers of English football Mm -hmm was Newcastle United, and they didn't do it. They nearly got there, and they were close to it, but they didn't make it, and they ended up going into decline. Now, the weird thing is, my, the Geordie Nations still adore that team. That is their cathedral that they'll go to, and they will give a backing and a noise level in there that's hard to match mm-hmm. at any other ground in England. But the fact is, Rafa's got them in a way that no manager's had since Kevin Keegan. Yeah, no, mm. I agree,
2: I agree. I've been really impressed with uh, Jamal Lascelles there. Yeah. Now he, you know he had a stage earlier in the season when he was out the side, but the maturity and the the natural leadership
1: style. Well, he's old school. Yeah, he's like he's, he's built like someone he, he, he used to be built and he like. Also, doesn't mind calling out his teammates. No, it? It was, yeah, that was really interesting. Was it a couple of? Was it was a year ago, yeah. a year or two ago, when it, yeah, he was really critical of his teammates, and then Rafa made him captain again. Yeah. Rafa, clever man, thinks this guy. Is someone the fans can relate to as a player, as a person, and he named him the captain. Yeah, I think he's got a really bright future, Jamal LaSalle. I think in the long term, Newcastle, with the current squad, have got a real ceiling. Mm-hmm. That ceiling's probably not much far above mid-table, to be perfectly honest. They were, I watched them at Huddersfield, and they were, they were pretty, pretty poor. Um, but with, they did the basics right, don't they, under Rafa? They, mm-hmm. they don't gift you too many games. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of his... And uh, I'll, I'll say it again, he, he should really be managing. He should be working with a better group of players. Mm. Would that include John Joe Shelvey? Do you think he Do is I, he worth I, persevering with? Yeah, him?
3: without a doubt. But there is a character. It's a character flaw that's in there. The kid's got ability, but it's he has to show he has conquered that. Mm. I mean, you know, there's plenty of players down the years, including a Frenchman who rocked up at Leeds and then Man United, mm. who had shown in the previous, you know, in his previous career, this. Well, impossible attitude to changing his view on referees, teammates, and just kept getting sent off and doing crazy things. Some of the Shelby stuff you look at, I think, when will you learn? Yeah. If he was to learn, and I'm not elevating him into he could be as good as Cantonal. He could be an outstanding Premier League footballer you know and, a, and a cornerstone for it Newcastle if, mm-hmm. if if he just gets his head
1: around, I'm a footballer. I think the if's too much. Okay, What's well. It? Yeah, then no, no, I just, I just, I just I think he probably won't be a Premier League player much longer. But, and I know that sounds really harsh. I love watching him play. I think he's got that eye for a pass. It's brilliant. But he's he's not a kid anymore. And he, it's time and time again. He's, he keeps making the same mistakes, keeps having this little, little peaks of form and then going off the radar for a month or two. I just don't know if he's got it up there inside his mind to be a top-level Premier League player. I hope I'm wrong because I like watching him. But I, I, I don't see a long-term future at the high level because of what goes on in his head. Mm. Let's now look, David, at the significance
2: of what will be one of the most significant games of the season. City winning at Chelsea, winning Mm. well at Chelsea. Mm. Let's look at the impact on Antonio Conte. Mm. Already gone on record about his love for Italy, I'll be back soon. Mm. Is this going to be his last season?
3: Yeah, I think it will be. Um, But I think... I think that was an incredibly important win for Manchester City within their sort of Mm. head-to-head battles with Chelsea in recent years. But more to the point, going into it, Chelsea's performance in Madrid against Mm. Atletico Madrid was absolutely superb. Let's be honest. Mm. Simeone has got a team there at Atletico Madrid that are normally so high intensity that they will swarm anybody and you will have huge problems. The fact being they don't lose at home Mm. until Chelsea go there. And... For my mind, and epitomised by Aidan Hazard, Chelsea were absolutely brilliant on that Wednesday night. Cut to the weekend, you're thinking, now this could be a really interesting game. And which Man City turn up? Obviously, they've lost Aguero with the car crash in Amsterdam. You end up looking at that, and Manchester City's response was brilliant. The quality of the game, what they did was super. And you know what? We actually had the conversation last year on this very seat saying, Guardiola has to get more movement from his full backs or wing backs. And you look at who had the most touches for Manchester City in Saturday's brilliant performance at Chelsea, and it was the two. It was bounce. brilliant. But
1: what, 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 why did Conte not pick the same team? Why did, why did he go so defensive? That's, I think that's the question he has to answer. I think that's the regret he'll have. Why did he pick Moses? He's at home. Mm. He went really good. He got scared. He was scared of Manchester City. Um, why did he put Fabregas in the middle of the three in midfield as a deep guy with Conte and Bakayoko either side? I think he made a couple of big big errors, really. I'm not saying he handed it on a plate yeah. to City because mm-hmm. City had to play superbly to beat them, but I think Conte went Italian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sort of overcame him and he thought, I don't want to get beat here, and that played into City's hands. Who? Let's give Guardiola credit. I mean, he's got them playing phenomenal football without... Sacrifice, sacrifice and defence.
2: Mm, there's cool. a case of, of the bite a bit here, isn't there? Because about this time last year, Conte changed mm. Chelsea's structure, won the title with wing-backs. Yeah. City did the same to him, didn't
3: they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I've got to say, I'm old enough to remember a few teams where they've gone 8, 10, 12 games, be it unbeaten, all yeah. with 10 wins in that. And we're hailing them as champions by October, November, and they ended up blowing up. So, yeah. you know, the the one I really think is going to be an interesting collision. I can't wait for Jose to start lobbing the verbal hand <laughs> grenades. Never mind any physical uh, face ups on it. Is when it's City yeah. United, United City. So really, I do think it's going to emerge as the Battle of Manchester for winning the league. Yeah. But and Jose will not attempt he won't have any he won't, he won't have any doubts about saying, well, we're not gonna have a game of no, football. It's gonna kill it, yeah, isn't we'll, it? Yeah. We'll do but they're blowing to everyone
1: them. away. Yeah. What what I find most remarkable about Manchester City's form at the moment is that they're doing all this with virtually a team full of attackers. Mm. I mean, where are the defensive minded players in that team. The Stones and Otamendi and Fernandinho, That's it. Mm it is it is over they are overwhelming opponents with their with their brilliance and i think he is an outstanding coach i mean he, do, yeah. he does improve players uh, remarkably and, and he's innovative isn't he? he comes up with unusual things that throw teams and at the moment i think that's what's happening It'd be interested to see whether rival managers begin to work out a way of coping with city what what happens then I, knowing Guardiola's in track record, he's probably got another plan up his sleeve. Can I, mm. can I
3: just tell you about, you asked about Chelsea as well. Yeah. I th- something struck me. When I saw the Conti quotes about Italy's my homeland, you know, I can mm. see my, you know, I'll be return one day, et cetera. Good old-fashioned
2: come-and-get-me, Absolutely.
3: It? He's putting everybody on alert that, you know, the time may be right at a point. Mm. Do you know the other thing that struck me? If you look, that is entirely consistent with almost the, the coaching techniques and beliefs, the career plan of an awful lot of Italian coaches tend to be around two or three years. Mm, And they almost accept the club president as they have changing it then. And I know, you know, you say, well, he had four years of fire you don't get the Arsene Wenger, you don't get the Alex Ferguson thing, you don't get what may be Manchester that's City... That's why he didn't, that's that's did why he it,
1: didn't care it? about Ruben yeah. loftus cheat. he didn't yeah. care about you know, Izzy Brown. No interest, because he knows he's only going to be there two or three years. Ancelotti is the case in point. How many teams has he managed for two or three years? Correct. Could he go back to Chelsea, maybe? Yeah. What about Arsenal? <laughs> <laughs> what? Carlo Ancelotti? Well, there's not a vacancy, is there? So, uh, I don't know when there will be one, really, um, looking at it. Um, I think he would be quite a popular choice, but is his reputation a bit tainted now? I don't know. He's, he, he hasn't really done the business, has he, at Bayern Munich, Carl Ancelotti? I've always been a real fan of his, not because he's a great tactician, but because his teams play really fast attacking football. I've always really enjoyed mm. watching Ancelotti teams. And I like him because he's so chilled out, isn't he? He's, mm. he's got this kind of – doesn't nothing seems to faze him, including the sack. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, maybe – that, that moment has passed for Arsenal. He's becoming more well, of a senior manager now, I think, Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah. I would imagine Arsenal going for somebody younger post-Wenger.
2: Mm, I must admit, I did have a quiet chuckle when I saw him linked, inevitably, to West Ham.
3: Yeah, <laughs> you're thinking, would Carlo Ancelotti want to join West Ham? Well, there is a, a moot point. <laughs> I, I think working with a number of West Ham fans, they would love to see Carlo Ancelotti rock up there at some point because... They would see that. Rafa went to Newcastle,
1: didn't he? Indeed. Mm -hmm. From from Real Madrid, was it? Yeah, that was his previous job. It's not going to happen, though, is it? I wouldn't (laughs) have thought so, no. I wouldn't (laughs) have thought so. When we look at
2: Guardiola, you know, let's face it, he did get some stick, didn't he?
0: Deservedly.
2: Underachiever and everything else. Is this the season where he wins everyone
1: over? It feels that way. It's just early. It's a little bit too early to say. But last season, I think Guardiola had a pretty terrible campaign, really, in terms of underachieving with the talent he had. It, it, the basic flaws that were not being fixed. But he's, worked, he's clearly worked incredibly hard with the players, um, obsessively so. And they just look so pumped up, so in tune with what he wants from them. <sighs> they... They are overwhelming a lot of teams. I can see them smashing most of the Premier League by four and five. It's just, will they be able to do that to Manchester United? Do you know, Mark, I,
3: I, I, I think that Manchester scene, and been, I'm old enough to remember it, but you think of the 60s or the late 60s where you had the Malcolm Allison, and John Mercer team that really eclipsed Man United, certainly in domestic football, and went and won the league in 68 when United were the big rivals. You then ended up with the team that Roberto Mancini had when it went to the last day of the season, Man United at Sunderland, and guess what? City gone nail it with a great Aguero goal, etc. <laughs> but, but it was brilliant for City fans that they could see that. I really think this is going to be a fantastic head-to-head season, but you know what? The, there's a huge difference. Back then, it was Malcolm Allison's coaching, a guy called Joe Lancaster was the athletics coach. He got in, he got them super fit, he got them to a different level and it was United who had the best Lord Charlton Cavalier football approach. Now you're looking at it, this season and for this Mourinho against Guardiola, City are going to be the Cavaliers and United are the roundheads now. Mm. United are the efficient, we will deliver now. That changes it all and you wonder what the outcome can be with that.
2: And you can't have a round ahead <laughs> for Marouin Fellaini, can you? What is doing in that team... Goes against all logic,
1: doesn't he's, it? Yeah, he's a good player. Like, he he, he delivers for Everton, didn't he? he yeah, I've just never really got Fellaini and what, what he is. Is he, you know, is he a striker? Is he a 10? He, he does look better, I must say, in the, in the deeper role, breaking forward when he picks and chooses the right times. No, he's been well coached by Mourinho. Um, he fits in well in, in that Manchester United side, who, let's face it, will will go direct. A hmm. lot of their play is, is built around knocking high balls into the box, especially from from corners and, and free kicks. Obviously, uh, Josie Mourinho's has always put put quite a high stock on that. So no, look, he's a typical Mourinho player. He's not a typical Man United player, but it's working for them at the moment. Yeah, I just think in those big games, you you wouldn't back against Jose. I don't think against against Pep I think he could he could he could just get the point he needs potentially. It, they've just got to stick close enough to City United, and I think in the big duels that's might might be where it's and, and
3: the other thing is Mike, whatever is said and i'm sure it will be said nearer the time out the history's gone the barca real madrid rara there is fundamentally a difference in approach and football attitude between guardiola and Mir- beyond what you see the teams i'm not sure they really say respect probably not, like each other there is a real desire to put one over the other to prove the point that has been there for many, many years. This is mm. right back to early Barcelona. I'd rather see City it? win it.
1: I'd, I, want, I want to watch teams playing the City way, playing the Guardiola way. No doubt about that. I'd, lo- I'd love them to, well, I wouldn't love them to win it because I want Arsenal to win it. But if, I, if they can't win it, then I would much prefer prefer City.
2: Yeah, but isn't might is right, they say. And, and that, I can see United steamrolling their way to the title.
1: Yeah, well, ultimately, they've still got the same defence. I mean, they've still got the same defenders, company stones. Ultimately. They've still really only got Fernandinho as your holding midfielder. So when injuries bite, when <coughs> this overwhelming domination of games dries up a little bit, are those guys capable of not making the errors that they mm. were making last year? I think that's the big question mark. Um, yeah, I, I, I would like City to win the league, but based on what I've seen so far, and I did tip City at the start of the season, but based on what I've seen so far, I'd lean more towards United because they've got that solidity. Mm. In a sort of a private fantasy world, a few...
2: I don't know <laughs> if I want to share that. <laughs> uh, <anyway. okay. laughs> in, this, in this private fantasy world that United fans inhabit, yes, they'd love to see Cristiano Ronaldo come back to Old Trafford. He's, he's looking for £25 million a year. From Real Madrid. If they don't give it to him, will that fantasy ever be fulfilled?
3: I don't think it will now. I think maybe in the last two years, and I say this because of the political things surrounding Man United and the Marquis signing time. I just think where they've gone to with Lukaku, Pogba, and what United have got, I'm not sure. And you know, whether going forward with the Rashfords and the Marshalls, Cristiano Ronaldo is without doubt, and he is there with Messi obviously, but in that top, top two of players we've seen in the last 15 years. He's a, he's a brilliant footballer and he's very popular with Manchester United. And I'll tell you something about Ronaldo that probably people don't see when, you know, the viewers, etc. When Cristiano Ronaldo's away with Real Madrid or Portugal, if he sees any of the Manchester press guys there in a mix zone, he always comes over, remembers the old roots were, hi guys, do you need to speak to me? Can I help you? He's absolutely brilliant at remembering this and spotting faces and, <laughs> and just going, yeah, can I? Which a lot of people just think he's some flash, you know, and it's, this this. media media whore. <laughs> who who <laughs> would have thought it? Shannon Ronaldo <laughs> spotting some of the boys that he's known for. When he no, was I young. like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I just think that's a different insight we get into him. But you're saying specifically, can you see it now? I'm not sure. Mm. I can see that. The other thing which I thought was interesting at the weekend, Daly Blind, Danny sorry, Danny Blind, mm. Daly's dad. Danny Blind is on Dutch TV at the weekend. Now, he obviously has a link into the United dressing room with his mm. son there. And Danny Blind delivers the observation, well, there, there are the untouchables at Manchester United. There are six players who know they will be in Jose's first team and the rest of the team, the whole of the first team squad then, is fighting for the five other places. And you look at the way it's going, and, and obviously Pogba was one of the six in his mm. injured, so it opens up an Sorry, extra so place. But... Yeah, but I think where Jose has been, he's always trying to make it, he's prepared to change anything and he's, you know, he's dropped some big-name players. Mm. But it gives you the view he, of what, what they've got there yeah. and, and the tightness he's got on He it. had
2: his untouchables at Chelsea, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's just the way he is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Some listeners and viewers' questions. Okay. Um, Adam Keirsey says, in our experience, which have been the top players with the most unfulfilled potential. I'll kick it off if you like.
1: Yeah.
2: From my point of view it would be Ravel Morrison. Yeah. Supremely gifted player. Hugely troubled background. Yeah. He finds himself playing in Mexico when he really should be playing still for Manchester United. Yeah. I think yeah. that sums up. I remember
1: Giggsy. I spoke to Giggsy a few years ago and I said who are the kids coming through and he was raving about Morrison. I think he was only 14 or 15 at the time. He said this kid's magic but he did say then he said but it comes from a difficult background you know right. I, that might be the problem it's, it's hard there have been so many i've seen down the years so many amazing talents that never quite made it probably from recent times i, I remember nick powell when he was at crew alexandra all the scouts I remember i was at the roots hall for a south end game and um all the scouts were there <clears throat> all of them all the big guns and they were all there to watch him and he was brilliant and I came away that night thinking, this, this is a kid He's going to play for England. And his attitude isn't right. Clearly, he, he's fallen off the wagon. I think he's at Wigan now. Do, doing all right for Wigan. But he's never he's never going to make it to the to the elite level now. That moment's passed. So you, you, talent alone is is never, ever enough. I would say the one player at Arsenal, and it's a different case, is Jack Wilshere. By this stage of the career, having watched Jack when he was a teenager, I expected him to be... Gaza-esque by now. I expected him to be England's main man, running matches, be it being the the dominator for for the Gunners, and it just hasn't worked out that way because mainly because of injuries. Um, so yeah, I hope that his talent eventually gets fulfilled.
3: Yeah, I, I've got one as a young emerging player, and I look back and I'm haunted by the thought of was it four, five, or maybe six different countries, including England, putting out the old cloak of welcome, come and play for us the most gifted player in Europe, the world, whatever, whatever happened to Adnan Januzaj. <laughs> mm. And you think that Roy Hodgson was there, any number of people basically begging him
2: to come and play. He believed the headlines.
3: Didn't he? Yeah, Well, the whole thing, and his father helped him believe the headlines. And the, oh. You know, the, the, that that thing. I and mean, you're saying this is a boy who's been at two or three places where he has been given a platform to deliver, and he's just not delivering. Now, I'm not saying...
1: He has no talent. The question was, who failed to fulfil? Mm. That's the one I'd nominate from recently. You need starts. hunger to, as married with the talent to, to stay at the top. It is actually quite easy for gifted players. I had a few handful of games. I had good games for Arsenal. I couldn't quite stay there. It, it takes a certain mentality, I think, to, to, to stick What around. did you do like then? I don't know. I was probably too complacent. I was maybe overconfident in a way. I wasn't. Probably enough of it. Enough of, I wasn't critical enough of myself. I should have pushed myself harder. And I think a lot of, of talented players are of that mindset. They rely on their gifts. And that is never, ever enough. Really mm-hmm. isn't.
2: Leads into a question from Nick from Manchester. What are the criteria to be a world class player? And does the Premier League have any genuine world class players?
3: To answer the second part of the question first. I would say if you look at proven over the last few, because I don't think you can just say somebody's having a great season. For me, the proven world-class player, and it is probably one, is Sergio Aguero, is the Premier League's best world-class player. Does that job, whatever. Done it in a number of places. I think he is top quality. David De Gea. yeah, well, okay, goalie. But the other one I was just going to say is, is in. <laughs> no, goalie, no, goalies, no, 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 yeah, <laughs> no, no. I'm saying Agüero. Well, yeah, you can have <laughs> De Gea. But I was thinking about the one, you know, the match-winning ones at that end. Was yeah, yeah. David de Silva's an outstanding player and has been a great player. But I'm saying he's a great player, Silva. Agüero, for me, is top world class quality.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'd I'd say if if you're the top two or three in your position in the world, then that's that's good enough to be world class. Maybe the if you were picking a squad of 25 players, uh, would they make that squad? I think I I think Harry Kane has got to be very close Mm. in terms of centre forwards. Who's better than Harry Kane out Mm. there? Really, you might have said Lewandowski. You know, a couple of years ago, Suarez. That no much better than Kane as a centre forward at the moment. Mm. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about him later. Um,
2: Roger White talks about his Tottenham teammate. Why does Christian Eriksen appear to go under the radar? Good question. Probably because
3: he's not playing international football for a team that we're going. Oh, they are going to be in the semis or a World Cup final. I don't think that's helped him. And he's not been at a Tottenham team that have been winning leagues, etc. But in terms of creativity. What he's got, the standard he's got, he is an outstanding player.
1: If he scored more goals, he would get more headlines. He's a great team player, integral to Spurs, but he probably doesn't score quite enough to, to, to get people to
3: talk. Re- just on Ericsson, I'll give you mm. another, the opposite of this. Was I remember Tony Allen Ball once, God rest his soul, and Ball, he said, do you know who's been the most valuable player in the, whatever it was at that point? Top flight of English football, and we're debating this, who it was, goal scorers, and he, and he went, Matthew Letiziae. He said, you look at Southampton's stats Mm. on Southampton being a top-flight club, Mm. how many goals every season he delivered, Mm. how many free kicks caught, whatever he Mm. took, Letitia was fundamental to Mm. Southampton staying there. Mm. Now, because Letitia didn't go and play as a regular for England or play in a team that was winning in Europe, nobody now Mm. thinks of him as a great player. Mm. And that's the danger with Christian Eriksen. The platform you get, if he rocked up at, be at a, a, a Barcelona or Real mm. Madrid. Something. Gosh, what a player! He's even better than we realized
2: mm. It's no, he's, isn't That's he's, your
3: problem. He's top class. He's, yeah. he's a he's yeah. good lad. Uh,
2: a couple of Everton fans, Rob and Stephen Smith, have, have asked about Steve Walsh and Coleman. Mm. I think we have probably covered that. Yeah. Um, Frank Osborne. Yeah. This is a question probably dear to your heart. Okay. Right.
1: <laughs> Should Theo Walcott move on from Arsenal? Um, I think it's a personal decision. It, it depends how, what he wants to get out of his career. If it's as many appearances as possible, then he should leave because he, he's going to be in and out of the Arsenal team probably for, for as long as he's there now. Um, per, I think from, from Arsenal's perspective, he's a player that's well worth keeping mm. because, he, cause, OK, he, he's not always outstanding. He can sometimes disappear. But look, you look at his goal count every single year. 18 last year. I think he's only played a few games this year. He's got four or five already. He's a valuable member of the squad. So, uh, but but And he seems quite content. That's all I will say. So I don't see him in a hurry to leave. But a lot of players in his position would have left by now because they want to be the main man. I think Theo's do, happy do to you be there. Do
3: you think he's fulfilled, though, what Arsenal expected of him when he was there? And I, I was do. Here. I, I do. I too.
1: think he's overachieved. Because I don't, I don't think he's ever been a brilliant player. Uh, not a brilliant all-round footballer. He's magic at what he does. Driving in between full-backs and center halves to finish. Yeah, that's what he does, isn't it? That is their wall card. He's brilliant at it. But, but the rest of his game has, has been quite average down the year. So I think he's punched above, the, above his weight, actually. Just want to end
2: yeah, We are in International Week with a, a story, really, of, of two great England players. So Bobby Charlton. The England players are going to make their own tribute to him this week. And Harry Kane. Now, I I know I've said great, and some would say he's not been proven to be so yet. But when you look at his scoring rate, you think he is something special. Those players, are they quite similar in character? Are they hero material?
3: Well, I think, well, not material in Bobby Charlton's case, because he delivered it. You know, he was there. I mean, I've been doing some research. I've obviously spoken to Bobby a few times down the years, and, and had a, a memorable trip to Mali when England, I recall, were trying to get the 2006 World Cup, and before we that went realized, well, didn't it? Well, <laughs> it, before we realised how corrupt it all was, and the Malians, the Malians uh, FN Minister of Sport, I think was one of the people who was a major beneficiary of <laughs> Seps uh, large yes. But the point being, I got invited on this trip to witness, and Bobby was the ambassador who was with him. Bobby Charlton was 63 then. Bobby went out and did coaching clinics with young kids in the capital city, Bamiyoko. At 63, you would not believe the ability Bobby had to strike balls and literally his two-footedness and he was explaining to these kids and showing them drills about how they had to be two-footed and decide where they were going to beat the keeper and where they were going to put the ball and basically they could shout out where he was meant to be finishing. And this guy quite elderly at the time, who they'd never seen play, who was obviously this legend of the past, he delivered this 20-minute masterclass showing them these things. And you can see this kid's just mm-hmm. astonished by it. Now, when you then look at his career from surviving Munich and what Munich must have done to him, which he has admitted since in his own autobiography about not a day going by without him recalling the teammates, especially two of his closest mates, he lost that day. You remember how quickly, and these are in the days before we're dealing with uh, the, the traumatic stress syndrome that we're well aware of, a matter of six, eight weeks later, he's back on a football field and inspires Manchester United, who've lost this gang, to reach the FA Cup final. And And he's, he was a young guy of about 21 at the time, 2021. 20, now, you look at that as well as his career as a European Footballer of the Year, England World Cup, the best player we had in the 66 team as the great player. I think Bobby, in my good lifetime, is undoubtedly England's greatest footballer. Mm. That's a great challenge for Harry Kane to meet, but his roots in terms of respecting his club and being there as a man who appreciates what's for him, what's been done in the past of that club, he's got a good start to it. Yeah, I It's, it's, it's yeah. a good role
1: model, I think, Harry. Yeah,
2: because, you yeah. know, So, Bobby, the one thing that strikes you when you meet him is his natural humility.
1: Yeah. Totally. And I see that in Harry Kane as well, don't you? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, I think he's a rare breed, isn't he, in in terms of I don't think he would always put himself first. He's a club man. I I can see him staying at Spurs for his whole career. I really, really hope he does, actually. It's so unusual these days. He's a great role model off the pitch. You never hear of Harry Kane doing anything wrong. Family man. On the pitch, he just does the basics brilliantly, doesn't he? He's, he's, a, he's a quality all-round player, in my opinion. he Has to be England captain. I don't know what Gareth Southgate is waiting for. He's the leader. This is not a great period for England in terms of the the quality of the team. We've got a player that's different class up front. Make him the captain. Let him be the guy that walks the team out. Let him be the the, the poster boy of English football because he's that good. I agree with Adrian.
2: Harry Kane, he's one of our own, you know. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast.
0: Planning for your next trip?